Uh, this is uh, just, just, just the piano, this song. <clears throat> you can cough and clear your throat in the it's all right. This is called uh, Nocturne. Yes, we have time for this? Yeah, Nocturne. <laughs> this, this noise is going to come out on the record? Yes? Oh, okay. This is Nocturne with squeaky piano seat. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Everyone and welcome to the final N song on Billy Joel A to Z. Today we are talking about the song Nocturne. Nocturne is an <laughs> instrumental song that appears oddly as the ninth track on Billy Joel's first album ever entitled Cold Spring Harbor, released all the way back on November 1st, 1971. I mention it as the ninth track oddly because there's a 10th track and you would think an instrumental song would be the final track, but more to come on that. This song went to number one on the billboard charts where it lasted 10 weeks. Where like, I was just seeing if I was paying attention. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> obviously this song uh, never charted. It was never heard of. I've never heard the song in my life. You know, that's right. And love it. <laughs> why wouldn't i it's beautiful it's an amazing song it's just uh, odd that it's instrumental and i didn't know about it but there are rankings for this song so elon altman why don't you tell us where you think christopher bonanos put this interesting instrumental number yeah well i, I love it too and i uh, imagine that bonanos likes it a lot as well but then again it's from cold spring harbor i don't know that he would put anything uh, too high on the list so i'm gonna say 41 it's funny when you said, but then again, I was nodding my head. I'm like, oh, he's he's figuring it out. Nope, it's 105. He does not care for it. <laughs> That's he, a lot farther off than I thought. Yeah, he actually says there, which we're going to talk about. There are unrecorded lyrics that absolutely refuses to stick in the mind. <laughs> he hates it. Uh, Glenn Gamboa ranked it at 76, a little better, but he says the most moving piece on Joel's debut Cold Spring Harbor is this gorgeous instrumental that conjures enough elegant night imagery to live up to its name and a truly recognizable refrain. I am in all agreement on that very eloquent way of putting nocturne as a description. It's interesting that Bananos is like digging it for the lyrics, which obviously we'll talk about, but it wasn't released with those lyrics. So you can't like hold it against the song that he did write some lyrics for, uh, you know, for it potentially. The final version was the instrumental. That's what it should be judged on. Yes, absolutely. And isn't it interesting that there are lyrics and when the song is with the lyrics, the actual name of the song is called Silver Seas. 
these lyrics, although they might be good and I don't have them in front of me, when you can hear the song with the lyrics, it's it was one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard. It's it, <laughs> it just seems so wrong. It seems like he's making fun of the song like he was for the what he does on Howard Stern, making fun of my journey's end. When those lyrics come in, when he comes bouncing, it just it really just sounds like he's making a joke. And it sounds like there's actually people in the background laughing. it's they're hilarious lyrics because they're this song is so beautiful and then you hear this version that he almost recorded and went with and it's got lyrics like where are my mardi gras memories and where are my carousel fantasies and you're like what were you thinking man like how how did how do you take such a beautiful piano piece and then try to stick this bizarre bizarre lyrics to it not to mention that it doesn't even sound like the same kind of soft piano song he sings it with like a kind of a more of like a marching rhythm. Yeah. There's like a hard edge to the lyrics. He's got a guitar behind him as well as the piano. It's a very different song. It's a very different song. And I always wonder since, you know, we, we hate Artie Rip, uh, you know, how he kind of led him and was smart enough to win, let Billy Joel win and say, what if we made this an instrumental? Cause you figure Artie Rip doesn't have that much knowledge and be like, no, uh, cause maybe I would be that way too to let him put an instrumental song. And then, of course, you ask yourself, why would you put the instrumental song a song nine and then have an additional song at the end, which is, of course, a great song, got to begin again. But why why wouldn't this be the last piece? I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder if anybody knows. Well, first of all, I think we're so on the same page here because I have in my notes that um, if Artie Rip had anything to do with this becoming an instrumental, then I take back anything bad I've ever said about the guy. Because if Billy Joel showed up with those lyrics and Artie was like, you know what, let's go with the piano version, then he's a genius. And uh, we love you, Artie Rip. Now, yeah, as far as this being the second to last song, it always feels like when I listen to this album, I'm like, this is it. This The album is over. And then all of a sudden, Got to Begin Again comes on. And you th- at first you're like, well, this is stupid. That should have been the final song. It totally feels like the end of an album. But then when you hear Got to Begin Again with it and how they kind of fade to each other, it it sort of works as like a coda to the album for that song to be there, too. Yes, I suppose it does. It does work. It's just, uh, you know, to have that kind of wherewithal at that time to even think about, hey, we'll have an instrumental piece and then we'll have it. That's it. That's fascinating in itself. I will tell you, before we praise Artie Rip, uh, there's a the book, Billy Joel, America's Piano Man, uh, which came out in 2017. Uh, it's written by a music uh, he's not a critic. He's uh, like a, a musicologist or whatever. You know, he's just a, a music, like a like a professor of music or something. Yeah. So they really go over this song and really get into the instrumental part of it. 
and they say, and this is so well worded, nocturne is a genre, right, of of classical piano music. It is suggestive of night, which is usually quiet and meditative in character and exhibits a slow and dreamy nature in which a graceful, highly embellished melody in the right hand is accompanied by a broken chord pattern in the left. And that is what they say exactly happens here in the song uh, titled for this particular genre. And he says the B section, this is so interesting. The B section starting about a minute and a half into the track is more stirring, featuring right hand chords, a a faster tempo and a louder dynamic. The excitement dissipates when the main melody, the A section returns about 20 seconds later. So this guy is dissecting this very beautiful masterpiece kind of in a way of, uh, you know, a, a man, not a masterpiece, but a, a a man who clearly has musical, a musical background and is very good and a piano master, which we already know. And then the funny part is, is that family productions in the press release, they describe the song as a subtle knockout. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying it just doesn't, they might call it a subtle knockout, which I think is the wrong terminology. So then we can, what I'm saying, rip into Artie Rip again, because he still got it wrong. He's trying to do the right thing, but I don't think knockout is the correct word for what this is. He was trying to get this released as a single on classical radio. <laughs> Clearly, yes, something like that, right. But yeah, it's cool that like that this musicologist guy like recognizes that Billy Joel did this the right way, because like we don't know. I mean, we know that right. it's a pretty piece, but maybe it's like, oh, no, technically that's not a nocturne. That's actually a blah, blah, blah. But like that, it actually apparently holds up as that style of music. And I, I looked up what a nocturne was also. And I, this is kind of interesting. So it came about in the 18th century, this idea of like this music played at night. And they say it's like a serenade. But the difference between a serenade and a nocturne is that a serenade was usually played at 9 p.m. and a nocturne was played at 11 p.m. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's How specific is that? <laughs> hey, are well, you pay- playing a nocturne at 8 p.m.? How <laughs> dare you? That's three hours oh, early. That's great. Oh, I guess that's, you know, when you have, you know, when there's no television, uh, I guess things become more specific that are stupid. <laughs> yeah, like you're having a classy party with all your fancy society people at your house and you get the piano guy playing and it's like, oh, it's it's time for the nocturne. Let's hey, all listen, gather around. If I was in that time and uh, I was over a guy's house, it was, you know, we were planning a nocturne at 11 o'clock. I mean, that'd be damn exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if this was the song that Billy was playing down in St. Bart's when he met Christy Brinkley and Al McPherson. <laughs> course it was he's of course it was yeah because if you go into like an uptown girl and then you go into this then it just shows like wow he's amazing i mean really right let's just say you're playing only the good die young and then you play this you know like i mean that's if if you're a girl and you're not all in on this who am i kidding i'm a boy i'd be like this guy oh (laughs) i mean this just shows your your musical prowess in two songs how how great you are yeah the, f- the full range of his talents which i think is also why this ended up on the album he was trying to show uh, showcase like everything he could do so it was like hey i could do classical i could also play fast on these other songs and uh, also be very depressed in many of them uh you know there's also people that you know they they talk about this as a very chopin influenced song but some people say or i don't know whether it's this i think there's other people who talk about this song and they say there's not 
it it's not a very Chopin related piece. There's more hints of Chopin in I've loved these days, honesty and lullaby. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think the Chopin is like, well, it's a nocturne and Chopin was very famous for writing nocturnes. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's beyond my expertise. If they say this is that those songs are like Chopin, then I, gr- I agree completely with them. So did you see that there was in December 5th, 1976, they did this, uh, that tonight, Connecticut, like they, I guess they taped. Yeah. Billy those- Joel tonight, like a TV special. Yeah. Did you know that there were, there's two instrumentals because not only does he do this, he also does handball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my favorites. I you know I saw that on the set list and I was like, oh, that's crazy that he recorded handball. It was like at that time, I think he really liked handball. Handball! What, what are you doing? Two instrumentals at a festive. Occasion? Well, handball's not an instrumental. They do scream out handball a few times. Oh, so. yes, of course. That's it's right. It's got many lyrics. They scream Imagine out that handball. he sang the Silver Seas version of this on that 76 <laughs> performance and everyone was like, wait a second. You know, maybe this guy's not so prolific. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's 1976. I don't know whether it's time for instrumentals at that time. Speaking of which, most instrumentals on albums usually suck. I mean, this is so beautiful and it fits the album perfectly or the songs that I know so far, which I'm so excited about. It's like, you know, I uh, I don't think I've heard a clunker off this one yet. Right. So I think I know like three songs so far. And they all sound amazing. Like I uh, which one of our guests was saying. Cold Spring Harbor is my favorite. Was it Steve Mandel? Steve Mandel. And he was saying Cold Spring Harbor. I could sit and listen to it. I think this is an album I can sit and listen to in its entirety. And this Nocturne piece just for me, it really is icing on the cake. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's amazing. But when you think of bands that have instrumentals, they're usually suck. Like they think they're good, but it's uh, it's the reason why I don't really care for the Grateful Dead. It's just nonstop music. It doesn't go anywhere for me personally. Fleetwood Mac, Albatross, or even the love theme from Kiss. These are like not songs that go anywhere for me. They're just, as Spinal Tap says, um, a free flowing jazz odyssey you know, in front of a festive yeah. crowd. Uh, that's why I think this song is amazing as an instrumental piece. It, it doesn't when I hear most instrumentals, it's not very good. It serves the album really well, kind of similar to, I guess, instrumental tracks that The Who use and things like Quadrophenia that are kind of like they they are in between, but they kind of push the story along. You can kind of feel what's happening. And I feel like this song, you know, comes after tomorrow is today, which we haven't talked about, but that's his like suicide song. So he's like, it, the whole album's going downhill. And then he has this really sad instrumental, which really kind of closes it out. And then it goes to like that got to begin Ooh, again, which is a little bit more oh, that's hopeful. Interesting. Wow. So it's kind of like, Hey, don't worry about me guys. Like I am looking forward to living. So wow, how <laughs> no do you worries. Like that? What, what a, so he really did, I think, piece this together in a nice cohesive way, kind of like how he thinks about his later albums where like, you know, he wants it to have like a beginning and an end, like we see on The Stranger where the same theme kind of comes up both times. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it's there's a theme, let alone like you say, or like you're saying about this album, I'm thinking about his last album, The River of Dreams, in which we found out that when we're doing lullaby, that each song is supposed to be an answer for the next song. So, wow, uh, that's interesting the way you're putting it. That's, I never thought about that before, that there's maybe a string in a lot of his albums like that. I mean, why wouldn't we think that? It's just that he's so pop friendly and each song is so good on its own. Sometimes you don't think about the structure of the album as a whole, except for The Stranger. Yeah, yeah. And but he was always so mindful of that, because especially with his Beatles influences, you know, like right. all the later Beatles stuff was well, not all of it. White album. What's, has a, no what's, a, what's an example that you have? Like, what kind of song would be an influence? Well, Sergeant Pepper. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know how it has that instrumental moment in it? I think he was going for that. I'm telling you. 
I bet Definitely. if we talk to him, he goes, well, actually, the only Beatles song I've ever heard, very much like you, Dave, uh, is uh, Day in the Life. <laughs> well, Dave, you know how you've never heard Cold Spring Harbor. Why? You know, yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome if we were interviewing and he said that. That would be like, actually, if I can be honest with you guys, can I give you an exclusive? I've only heard A Day in the Life, but I've listened to it <laughs> yeah. so many times. I'm not really a Beatles guy. I'm more, I was more of a Jethro Tell dude. <laughs> Yeah, Jethro Tull. That's why I decided an instrumental piece would be perfect. <laughs> Added a little flute to it. Now, there's a little bit of controversy about when that set, what is it? Was it called Silver Seas? So yeah, the, Silver Seas. And I don't know if that's the official name or that's just what people are calling it because it comes up as like the, the title. And I mean, it comes up in the chorus every single time. That's like the final lyric. But when do you think he made that? Because I saw one thing on YouTube said this was like from 1970, but then another source on YouTube, which had a different version, I think it's the same version, but this guy who has a lot of these rarities says that it was recorded in 72, which was the same time that he recorded songs that we've talked about, like Josephine and Great Ships and Great Oceans. I don't know. I mean, that's the question, I guess, is that he obviously had this very delicate medley in his um, mind. And uh, yeah, the question is, was it always planned as an instrumental or was the lyrics first? And then he just, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the ultimate question, which, you know, could be our first question. If we ever talk to him, I, I, I would be fascinated at this point to see which came first. What was the yeah. plan? Right. I mean, we know Billy writes music first and then adds the lyrics after most of the time, but the, was the plan. I wrote this great music and then I wrote this silver sea stuff. And then Artie Rip was like, or whoever, let's just put out the piano version. Or was it he did the piano version and then wanted to keep reworking it for perhaps his next album with lyrics, mm. uh, which, again, glad that that didn't happen, because if Piano Man became an album that had like this song, Great Ships and Great Oceans, Josephine, yeah. all these things that he was recording at that time, it would have been like a whole different career. It really is fascinating that he figured it out so quickly. Yeah. I mean, gosh, he would have been like this weird prog rock talking about oceans a lot for some reason. Well, then again, at that point, he had a major label with him so they could have made the choices back then you know him be, he might have had to go with the flow on that because he wasn't billy joel yet you know sometimes the albums are the album companies are you know if you're working with a guy that you trust that works over there and they're like look i want this album to be good and i don't think this fits then they might have figured it out for him yeah and actually i guess because captain jack became such a big thing because of the wmmr show then maybe he was like okay this is what fans are tapping into it's more of this kind of sound and that's how he went and took away stuff like this that's a good point too that's an excellent point point. and he did actually play nocturne on that wmmr concert oh is that right yeah he uh and it's on the uh, the piano man legacy edition they have not just nocturne but also his intro to nocturne mm -hmm. which is just him talking for a minute which is really funny actually because he says to the crowd He's like, you might be wondering, like, you just put out an album. Why are you playing these songs? And he's like, well, this is like the Billy Joel best of that we're doing tonight as like a joke. Like, because he who is he? And he's like, yeah, this is uh, I think he says like this is volume one. For those of you uh, sitting here or for those of you driving along, not knowing who I am, wondering who I am and wondering if I recorded an album already, why we're recording the same songs again. We're making uh, the best of Billy Joel album. <laughs> volume one. Songs you love by Billy Joel. <laughs> right, Billy Joel's greatest hits. Yes, that was the one that uh, made me the superstar I am, as a matter of fact. And then later he says greatest hits and starts laughing at himself that the idea that he could even have a greatest hits. And he doesn't even know that later on in his life he's going to have three volumes of greatest hits. Well, 
None of which include Modern Woman. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, it was a greatest hit, and then it uh, drives me crazy. That volume three is just not necessary. Sorry, I don't like. Yeah, <laughs> switch. I don't know why you call them greatest hits. It should just be. I don't know. Here's the here's the fan favorites album. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be greatest hits. The Just Gal cut. Well, exactly. Those would be completely different. So yes, <laughs> but right, you'd have to be an idiot not to put out greatest hits when clearly. People have purchased or asked of the, for the radio stations to do it, but yet you don't put on Modern Woman and you don't put my life on my lives again. Oh, my God. Mind blowing crap. <laughs> Seriously, Alon, I know we talk about how do you not put my life on my lives? You've been just out. That's why Billy has like nothing to do with that album. I, th- I don't think he was happy with that compilation coming out. Well, it's on his, you know, official site as a as a Billy Joel album. So whatever. Yeah. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Alon, I have something new today. It is called Audio Trivia. What? That's right. It's a, a little game we can play with you and the audience. In 1985... New Order, the band, came out with their most popular album ever, and they decided to open the second side of their album with a full five-minute instrumental entitled Allegia. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm so... Allegedly, that's how you pronounce it. (laughs) Uh, The funny thing is, unlike Nocturne, everyone knows this instrumental, even if they don't think they know it, because of this 1986 movie. Would you like me to play it for you now? Yes. All right. Now, when I hear that song, I know exactly where it's from because that's the kind of person I am. Can you guess the movie, the very popular movie from 1986 that this song, this instrumental song and a very popular album was from? It kind of reminds me of a song from Ferris Bueller. No, you're right there. It's one of those type of movies. Okay. Is it also a John Hughes movie? It is. Is it 16 Candles? No, you're two years early. Is it Pretty in Pink? It is. All right. Pretty in Pink. That is the scene where everything is fakakta and uh, everybody's mad at everybody and they're all, uh, you know, worried about prom. I, I, I know it so well. I, as soon as I heard that music, I'm like, well, I know this song. This is from Pretty in Pink. <laughs> but yeah, and a five, get this. A five minute instrumental on their like probably most popular album at that time that kicks off the second side. It's not at the end. And it, it, it apparently the album was a five minute edit of the 17 and a half minute recording of what it actually was. 
Oh, so man. Finally, somebody at the record company was like, no, 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 absolutely not. Right. They're like, all of side B is going to be this one song. But you can go on YouTube and hear the 17 and a half minute version of this song. I'm telling you, a lot of these bands, they get very full of themselves. We should be very grateful that Billy only gave us a two and some minutes, uh, some second song, uh, a beautiful, beautiful, perfect length instrumental song to not, you know, this guy could have shown off his musical talents for certainly 17 minutes that we probably would have enjoyed. But thank God he figured it out. 17 minutes, uh, you know, I don't know. But that a lot of these instrumental songs that we were just talking about, Fleetwood Mac, because they, they go on and, they, and there's nowhere to go. This piece is the perfect length. Nocturne. Yeah, you're right. He knew how to edit himself, apparently. Imagine he did decide to just repeat it eight more times to make it like a 16 minute song. <laughs> well, yeah, I can imagine it. I can see a lot of other people doing, but like we say, he was very, very smart and Artie Rip wasn't. But even though maybe we have to maybe give him credit, but I don't want to do that. Uh, Alon, do you have a trivia question for me? I do have a trivia for- question for you. It's about the band Queen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if the timeline for Nocturne is that Billy Joel made an instrumental on cold spring harbor and then was going to record this lyrical version of that same exact song on his next album if that's what if that's the timeline here that he was going to take a piece that was already out and then add lyrics and re-release it well queen did the same thing in 1973 on their debut album their final track was an instrumental and then on their second album the final track was that same instrumental but now flushed out a little bit more and with lyrics no way and not only did they add lyrics to this song, it actually became their first top 10 hit. That's amazing. I didn't know anything about that. That's fascinating. So the question is, what Queen song was this? Their first top 10 hit that they originally released as an instrumental and then released again under the same title on their next album. Obviously, Radio Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. No, uh, geez, that's a great. That is some really excellent trivia it's good information that's wow i i love that story i i didn't know that and it's their first top 10 hit killer queen killer, killer queen did they it's a good guess because that i think was maybe their second hit mm. um i'll give you a hint on this one because it might be difficult the title of this song by queen has similarities to the title of billy joel's lyrical version of nocturne so uh yeah, I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> Billy Joel's song is called Silver Seas. Yeah, so I and then I was thinking what Queen songs have silver or season, and I can't still can't think of anything. The song is called Seven Seas of Rye. Oh, I have no idea. I've never heard of that song. Really? I'm sure I've heard it. You, I have, guess, you but have. I've never heard the name of that song before. But that could be like you telling me, oh, it's the Who's and the name of the song is 515. And I'm like, no, I've never heard that song <laughs> in my life. And obviously, when you hear 515, you know exactly what the song is. So I'm assuming I have heard the song, but never knew what the name of the song was. What's it called? Seven High Seven Seas? Seven Seas of Rye. Of Rye? Yeah. R-Y-E? R-H-Y-E. R-8? Well, how the hell would... What? I don't know. Maybe it's either a place in England or some kind of mystical place because they were doing some real, like, you know, kooky lyrics back then. 
And it has nothing to do with John Reese Davis. Isn't that his name? Wasn't he in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, yeah, it's spelled almost the same way. It's also not Seven Seeds of Rye, which would have been the Weird Al version. Uh, oh, my God. That would have been the best. Damn. Seven <laughs> Seeds of Rye. multi-grain bread. <laughs> Weird Alon. Oh. I want that ride, lady. Shut up, you old pig. You know what? You're going to need to do. Maybe that's the parody you should do today since I, I'm assuming you don't have one prepared. It's an instrumental version. So you would assume wrong. Now you're right. Oh, wow. Can you just do seven seeds of rye then? uh, Some other time. We'll do that on a wrap up. I'll I'll do a queen seven seeds of rye. That would be fun. I would like that very much, as I believe the audience would as well. Well, folks, that was Nocturne. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Would you like to hear more audio trivia? Is Bananos crazy for putting this at 105? What do you think of the Silver Seas version? Would you describe Nocturne as a subtle knockout? And are you upset he doesn't play handball in concert? Handball! (laughs) Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. (laughs) 